Good morning, everyone. This is Pastor Troy Bond with the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies coming to you live right here from our studios in Daytona Beach, Florida. Good to have everyone here this morning with us. Uh, if you're joining us for the very first time, this is the Raven Institute, which is an expository teaching on the Word of God. We meet every day, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. until 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, for a teaching in the Word of God. Presently, we are doing a study in the book of the Revelation of the unveiling of Jesus Christ. And uh, if you've not been with us in the past and you're wondering about Raven Ministries, go and check out our uh, uh, website, which is located at www.biggrace.com, biggrace.com, and you'll find out more information about Raven Ministries International. Like I said, we're here Monday through Friday. We've been, we started our study, and this is going to be actually our 24th class in our study in the book of Revelation. If you're thinking to yourself, man, I might as well just bail out. There are already 24 classes in. They're probably about done. Uh, well, we're really, we're just getting started. We're just uh, on the fourth chapter out of 22 chapters. And uh, we got there's a lot to, lot to learn, a lot to look into. And so if you're joining us uh, and you've missed those previous classes, you can go to that same website, biggrace.com, click on Raven Institute, and those classes are going to be available. I think there's 16 of them right now available. We're going to try to get the rest of them on this week that we've done. And you can download those free of charge in MP3 format to listen to, go back and check out. Uh, print on a CD, drop it on your iPod, whatever it is, absolutely free of charge. I really encourage you to do that. What I do a lot of times, I'll uh, put those things on like my iPod or MP3 player, traveling, pop those uh, earphones in and listen to those things again and uh, just allow God to just speak to me through His Word. And so uh, that's, that's available to you uh, once again. If you have questions on the uh, program, uh, because of the pace, and if you're joining us for the first, first time, you'll find out it's, it goes Pretty quick. We teased about this being the fastest hour on the internet, and it's really, really fast uh, paced. And it has to be in order to get the information in. So uh, we we try to give you as much information as possible. Encourage you to take notes. But if you have a question particular to what we're talking about, hold that off until the end of the hour, and you can send an email to me or or make a telephone call. We'll post all that information on the web on the the screen here today. If you're watching us live, uh, Deb, pop that up there right now. Raven at BigGrace.com for questions, and we'd love to answer your questions uh, uh, as more as as detailed as we really can. If it's something regarding the Revelation study, hey, we'll answer it right here on the spot. If you need further uh, explanation on something, we'll try to do that. If it's another subject matter, send it in, and we'll get to that as well and answer that in a private email to you. But we want to uh, to have as much dialogue and input from you as possible on anything that you might question. We try to be detailed enough that uh, that we don't leave any stone unturned, so to speak. And really, that's by design. I don't want to just throw out some ambiguous, uh, 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 very... Uh, non-detailed type of information that leaves all these holes. So you'll see as we go through that we really cover things line up on line, precept on precept. That way you're not left in an environment where you have a bunch of unanswered questions. So once again, that's by design uh, because of this format. We want to give you as much as possible. That way when you get into your own private Bible studies, you can go search the scriptures yourself to see if it's so. Uh, the last thing we want you to do is just say, well, it's just because uh, Raven Ministries or Pastor Troy or one of our teachers here said it, that's got to be the case. Not at all. You know, we are teachers of the Word, and we really want to keep it close to the vest, so to speak, and, and teach and preach the, the Word of God without compromise and uh, uh, straight from the, the Word of Truth and allow you the opportunity to go and study to show yourself approved as well. So that's our goal. That's our, our desire is to invest the Word of God into you so you can take that same Word and invest it into a darkened world as the light of the world. So that's what we're here for. Uh, uh, don't forget, go check out the website, biggrace.com. 
uh, B-I-G-G-R-A-C-E dot com. You can send prayer requests to pray at biggrace.com. And uh, not big race, but we are in a race. And I guess if you're going to run the race, you better run as, as one that's seeking the prize. But if you have prayer requests, send those in as well. We pray for those and lift those prayer requests up to the Lord Jesus Christ, too. So um, check it out. Look what we do. Uh, we're not just here on the Internet, but we're out in the streets and neighborhoods of, of your cities uh, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's go to the Lord in prayer today. Just ask for his uh, direction and his leading. And uh, it's the understanding to be able to take in these things and allow it to fall upon good soil in our heart that we can uh, produce 30, 60, even 100 fold return on the investment of the word of God. Father, we just thank you for today, Lord God. Father, we're just excited. Father, I'm expectant, Lord God, as I read your word. Lord God, I know that there's promises, Lord God, that that are there for me. And Lord God, I'm excited because you've revealed those to us through your word, Lord God, and you're not slack concerning your promises, Lord God, that you're going to, you're the yes and the amen. Father, you're going to watch over your word in which to perform it, Lord God. So I can put stock, Lord God, in confidence and have comfort, Lord God, in knowing what you are leading and guiding us to. So thank you, Lord God, for just being so faithful to us, even in the midst of our own unfaithfulness, Lord God. Father, we, we're, we're, we're a people who are blessed, Lord God. We're, we're a people who, Lord God, need to be grateful for all the things that you've done for us, Lord God, how you've brought us out, how you've changed us and transformed us, Lord God, enabled us and empowered us, Lord God, through the blood of your Son, Jesus. And Father, I thank you, Lord God, that today there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, Lord God, because by the blood of Jesus, we can walk according to the Spirit and not by the flesh, Lord God. So, Father, just help us continue to walk in the Spirit, Lord God. Let us walk under the power of the anointing and the transformation, Lord God, of that new birth as we put faith in the finished work of the cross, Lord God. Because that same Spirit, Lord God, that, that, that raised us up, that transformed us, is the same Spirit today, Lord God, that dwells inside of us and desires to lead and guide us into all truth. We've got to have the mind of Christ. We've got to have the understanding, Lord God, because we know that the things that you're teaching us, Lord God, are not under Stood, Lord God, through the intellect, or Lord God, the, the 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 ability of man. But Father, these things are spiritually discerned. So we need a discerning spirit, Lord God. We need a, a, the spirit of wisdom and understanding to come upon us, Lord God, in power and in mind and in, in, in a revelatory type of way today. In the name of Jesus, I pray for those, Lord God, that have just been going through things in their life, Lord God, that the enemy had tried to just squeeze out that word. I pray, Lord God, just for victory. I pray for victory, Lord God, over disappointment, victory over despondency and despair, Lord God, oppression, whatever. It may be, Lord God, that's upon people. I just pray for a freedom and a liberty because where the Spirit of the Lord is, Father, there's freedom. And we thank you that there's a freedom to know you, to praise, to worship. Lord God, to get into your word, to have an understanding of those things. And Father, we pray for those that are sick in body and ask that you touch them, you'd heal them, Lord God, that the power of the blood of Jesus, Lord God, would obliterate cancers and diseases and diabetes, Lord God, and, 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 and gastrointestinal problems, heart disease, Lord God, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, Lord God, uh, uh, mental illness. This, whatever it might be, Lord God, we pray that by the blood of Jesus, that those who we've been standing in agreement with, Lord God, that the power of the blood of Jesus, Lord God, would touch and heal and restore. And we begin to see testimonies, Lord God, of your goodness and your mercy being poured out, Lord God, upon a believing people, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. Now, bless this time, Lord God, of, of fellowship together in your word. Bless this time of teaching, Lord God. I confess that I'm not able, but Lord God, I have an enabler in the blood of Jesus, Lord God, in the person of the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of me. So I thank you, Lord God, in advance, Lord God. God, for what you're going to show us and teach us and reveal to us through your word today. Everybody said amen, 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 and amen. Are you excited about the word? Amen. Hope you guys, uh, if you're watching this live today, hope you guys that uh, were different places of worship throughout the United States, 
Canada, Mexico, and other parts of the world had a tremendous time yesterday worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. I know we did, and God has just been doing some some really neat things and teaching some things and challenging us. You know, I, I like to be challenged. I, I really do. I mean, you know, I like God to to put it to me because I want Him to put the squeeze. I want everything that, that doesn't represent Him to be squeezed out of my life. And it's interesting sometimes how He does that and who He does those those things through. Him. But we need to welcome those times of of really God's working in our life in preparation and and burning up all the dross and all those the impurities that have come into our life. That way, when He presents us to Himself as a glorious church. He's able to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You know, folks, I've taught a few times here in Revel- this is the 24th class, Book of Revelation, in the fourth chapter, if you're just now slipping in, this is the Raven Institute. You know, I've taught several times uh, and preached really on the subject of uh, regaining the God perspective. And, you know, for several years I've been trying to teach people that mentality because if you never get that, uh, you can get a whole lot more out of the Word of God. Basically what it dealt with was, was coming to a place of seeing things the way that God originally intended for us to see things. And that sounds simple enough, but it's a difficult process. You know, I want to be able to, to, to see myself in the now how, how God sees myself in the now. I want to be able to see myself from the perspective. That way I can see other things from that perspective. I can see my brothers and, and sisters in Christ from that perspective. I can see a lost and dying world from that proper perspective. I can see my circumstances from a proper perspective. Folks, I think what hinders most people uh, studying the Word, living life, raising children, being married, working a job, doing ministry, what hinders people the most is a skewed perspective on things. And so if your perspective is ever off, what it does is it, it puts you on the wrong premise. And so you're always looking at things in, in the wrong way and you can't see it. So what we do when we come to the Word, what, what my desire is, is God somehow enable me, help me, Lord God. Give me the wisdom to gr- bring people to a right perspective, whether it's here, whether it's teaching a discipleship, whether it's preaching the gospel, whether it's witnessing, whether it's, uh, whether it's uh, 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 counseling someone, whatever it is. Our goal should always be to bring people to the right perspective. Say, for instance, you're preaching to someone lost that's in the world that doesn't know Jesus. You know, the Word gives us the law, which is our schoolmaster. And it says the law was given that sin might abound. What does that do? If I go to somebody that says, I'm okay, but I take them to the law of God that says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and I show them that standard... What have I now done? I've changed their perspective. They don't have themselves at this false, elevated position of of thinking they're okay. Now they've got to view their own life from the perspective of God's law. And so that that stuff goes on in every area of our life. And so when God created Adam and Eve, He created them, what? In His image. Let us, let us be an Elohim. Let us, that Godhead, that, that, that triune Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, let us create man in our own image. Or He created them literally to reflect His characteristics and vantage point to that subsequent posterity that He was going to allow them to, to have dominion and, and, uh, and rulership over in creation. But folks, when they sinned, what happened is they lost that perspective because what they did is they digressed from that place of elevated spiritual uh, uh, vantage point to a level controlled really and, and characterized by the flesh. That is why they hid themselves from God. It's when their perspective was correct or when they were able to see themselves from God's viewpoint, they didn't focus on their nakedness, but they rather focused on His Holiness, And so, folks, when we come to the Word, what the Word should do is, once again, bring us in proper perspective. And so, when he looked at Adam and Eve, he, 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 God asked him the question, he said, why, why do you hide from me? 
And, you know, and they answered because we're naked. And God responds, well, who told you that you were naked? Folks, you know who tells you you're naked? Sin tells you that you're naked. And so when you are in sin, then you reflect sin or you are in the image of sin. Now think about that just for a second. But holiness tells you that you are righteous. Just as sin tells you that you're naked, holiness tells you that you are righteous. And so when you are in Christ, then you reflect Christ or you are once again uh, expressing the image of Christ Jesus. You're thinking to yourself, well, why is this so important? I'm, I'm going to tell you why this is so important in this study as we look at this, this unveiling and this revelation of Jesus. It, when He unveils Himself to you and He reveals Himself to you, what it does, it puts you in a place of once again being able to reflect His characteristics. Because if you're serving a God that's veiled to you, basically all you're going to get is the reflection of that veil. That veil to you may be sin. Uh, that sin could be doubt, fear, unbelief. It can be carnality, whatever. And you're always going to be reflective of that. But God in His mercy, what He's done is He's pulled back that drape of Himself. Just as He, he split that, 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 that curtain in the, in, the, in the tabernacle from top to bottom in the, in the day that He died upon the cross, what He's done with this revelation is He's once again pulled it back that we might come into that holy place and experience Him and be reflective of, of His image, of His character, of His uh, characteristics, of His holiness and righteousness. That way, holiness can once again testify to you that you're holy, that you're righteous, that you are forgiven, that you are transformed. But the only way that you can get to that place is what? To have the revelation of Christ. Think about this for a second. The Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 32. The Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 32. 32. You're familiar with the verse as soon as I read it. It says, And I, speaking of Jesus, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. If I be what lifted up from the earth. Certainly, folks, this is speaking of the manner in which he would die. You know, he prophesied, you know, just as Moses lifted up the, the, the serpent in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be, be lifted up. So he's speaking of that he would be hung and lifted up, elevated from the ground upon a cross. But additionally, it speaks of the fact that because he was lifted up from the earth at his resurrection, that he will also draw men to himself in the day that we're talking about and examining right here in the fourth chapter of this unveiling or this revelation of Jesus Christ. And so, folks, the perspective that we can only see and enjoy right now in part we will have in its state of intended perfection on that day that the trump sounds and we're drawn unto him for all eternity. So he said, if, me, if, I'm, if I'm lifted up from the earth, I'll draw men to me. Folks, you know what? He said, I go away to prepare a place for you. Why? That he might draw himself to us. That we might be changed and transformed. And all these, these frailties of the flesh could be uh, once again replaced by the holiness and righteousness and strength that's only found in Christ Jesus. Think about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 9 and 10. 1 Corinthians 13 and 9 and 10. It says, For we know in part, or we're, I could put it this way, we reflect His image in part, we prophesy in part, or I could put it this way, or we speak His word, or we have the, the ability to, 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 to herald His word in part, or based upon our ability to, to reflect Him. But when that which is perfect is come, that's a personal pronoun, it should say when he which is perfect is come, then that which is in part will be done away with. And so you think about that right now, folks. Our reflection is, is hampered or limited 
or restricted by the environment that we're in. You know, for instance, in, his, uh, brother was talking yesterday as we were teaching out of First John chapter, uh, uh, what is we four, and he's talking about, you know what, I could be going through the fog and I can hit the high beams, and even though the light's shining, it's going to come up against the fog, and it's only going to shine so far because it's going to be hindered. Folks, it's the same thing. Even within us, the, the, the light, we are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. We've got the light of God in our life through the person of the Holy Spirit. But because we, we're living in a world filled with a spiritual fog of sin, what happens even with our high beams, they're only going to carry so far. And so right now we see in part, we know in part, but when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away with. Because He was lifted up, from the earth, not just on the cross, but at his has his resurrection, he's going to draw men to him. And so, when we see this drawing uh, away in uh, Revelation four, what's it going to do? It's going to elevate us above the fog of life. It's going to uh, elevate us above the fog of sin, and we're going to see everything the way it should be, folks. And when you see everything the way it should be, when you see everything from the the correct uh, perspective, we'll get in later in the Revelation. He's going to wipe all the tears from their eyes. Why knowing wipes the tears from your eyes? Understanding Him removes the stress and the turmoil. When I, when I can say God positioned me in a place in the now through faith in the finished work of the cross, what does it do? It, it, it causes me to reflect faith. It causes me to, to reflect hope. It causes me to reflect joy. And so you can always measure the reflection or the fog in your life by what's coming off of your life. And so if I'm always stressed, if I'm always uh, despondent, if I'm always just worried about these type of things, I need to ask myself, God... Who told me I was naked? Who told me I was in those situations? Because you know what he's saying to you? He's saying you're righteous, you're holy, you're victorious, you're, you're more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. You've got a hope that maketh not a shame. You've got that joy unspeakable, full of glory. You, 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 he's the glory and the lifter of your head. All these things is what he's wanting to reflect in our heart and life. And so folks, the rapture or the catching away, or the drawing away of the church is not about escaping tribulation or tragedy. It's about transformation or returning to that foreordained place that God has for His people. And so, that's what we need to understand about all this. I'm getting to a place that was foreordained for me. That's where I'm supposed to, do, to be. That's what God intended. He desired for me to, to be with Him and to walk with Him in the cool of the day. And so... At the, at the initial creation, what did he do? He came down and, and walked with them in the garden. But now what's going to happen? We're going to go and walk with him at that catching, drawing, snatching away at the rapture of the church. We're going to be back in that perspective that he intended. So it's, it's not a new plan, folks. It's not something that he says, oh man, I guess everything messed up. Folks, it's just a return to the place that he desired for us to be from the beginning. So I want you to consider that, what I just said, in light of this passage of Scripture. And it's out of the book of Romans. You guys that were with us for that 197 hours of teaching on the book of Romans might really appreciate this. Romans chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Romans chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. It says this. Now think about it in light of what we're talking about here in this unveiling, this revelation of Jesus. He said, But after thy hardness and impentant heart treasures up thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. I want to put that in context for you. And I mentioned this the other day in Romans chapter 1. He's really, Paul the Apostle, uh, writing this, this letter to the church at Rome, really begins to out and expose and address the sins of the Gentile people, the, the non-Jewish folks. The Jews begin to stand up and say, yeah, you need to tell them what they're all about. And they begin to basically uh, uh, 
throw stones at the at the Gentiles, then he begins to address their sins and he begins to call them out for their doubt, their unbelief. Then he says this, after the hardest and repentant heart, you have treasured up for yourself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. In other words, what he's saying is you've positioned yourself outside the realm of revelation and you've brought yourself to an appointment with the day of wrath. And so when I, when I when talked about, you know, we mentioned that 16 times the church is mentioned in the first three chapters of the, this unveiling of the revelation. But once chapter 4 hits through chapter uh, 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 18, you do not see the church mentioned again. Why? Because what they've done is that is a period of time that God is using, prophetically speaking, even from Romans chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, that they've what? They've treasured up for themselves. They've positioned themselves because of their impenitent heart, their lack of repentance, and their, their, their unbelief. They've positioned themselves and they've, they've built things up for that day of wrath. That's what the, the tribulation is, the day of wrath and of revelation. Think about that just for a second. Then he says, who will render every man according to his deeds. But, verse 7 of Romans chapter 2, to them who by patient continuance in, doing, uh, uh, in well-doing seek for glory and honor and mortality, they get eternal life. And so what he's saying is, listen... You're talking about them, but because of them, their, their patience, continuance, in, in, in well-doing, seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. Folks, listen, what are you seeking for? He tells us to seek first, there it is, the kingdom of God and His righteousness. In other words, to seek for glory, honor, and immortality. Now, we're not talking about the glory of men. We're not talking about the honor of men. We're talking about the, the, the glory and honor that only comes with the, uh, the unveiling of Christ Jesus Right now in our life that we're going to see to its fulfillment and fruition when he splits the eastern skies and it comes in eternal life. Then he says in verse 8, But unto them that are contentious, who was that? That was the Jews, who have what? Treasured up for themselves wrath against the day of wrath and, uh, and uh, revelation. Unto them which are contentious and do not obey the truth. Who was the truth? Jesus. But obey unrighteousness. Here's what's later for them. Indignation and wrath tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that does evil of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. And so you see, prophetically, even Romans was speaking to this situation. But, once again, glory and honor and peace to every man that works good to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And so what he's showing, he said, listen, guys, you're going to have to go through that speaking to the Jews of this period of anguish, of indignation, of wrath, tribulation. But it wasn't that way. I came that you might be the one that's seeking honor uh, and, and glory and immortality and eternal life. To the Jew first, it was given to you, but you've rejected that. So as a result of it, what's happened? Verse 11, for there is no respecter of persons for God. Because you didn't want it, that doesn't mean I'm changing my plan. That just means I'm extending my promise to, to, to those that through continuous uh, uh, patience and a willingness to seek me and to serve me and to endure this 2,000 years that we call the, the church age that, 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 that we've got something laid up for us in heaven that's a crown of righteousness. And so, folks, while this tribulation period uh, is, is a time of Jacob's trouble when God really will bring the Jews back to that place of their covenant, back to the God perspective, you know, it, that, that wasn't the way that it had to be. You know, he came to that Jew first 
than to the Gentile, but because of their national rejection of him, the benefits of this being drawn to him was extended to us who now have a part in that place of glory, honor, immortality, eternal life, rather than indignation, wrath, tribulation, and anguish. Now, another scripture for you. First Peter chapter two, verses five through ten. First Peter chapter two, verses five through ten. It's the same thing that we're talking about here in Revelation chapter 4. You also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believes on him shall not be confounded. Folks, i got news for you. You're going to find this out as we get into the next five, six, seven, eight chapters, you're going to see that that tribulation period is a time of being totally confounded. People are going to be confounded of what they experience, what they see. They're going to be crying out for the rocks to fall in upon them. They're going to try to try to seek death, but they won't find it. It's going to be a time of being confounded. But he tells us that we believe on him. We will not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, listen to that, the stone which the master builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. In other words, the master builders, those, those that he gave, the Jews, that he provided the, the opportunity to, to, to be really the, the special forces, so to speak, of the covenant and of his plan of reconciling, what did they do? They rejected him. They disallowed him. But to them, he's going to be made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. That's that word scandalon. He's going to be that rock of offense. He's going to be that thing that brings them, that exposes things, that, that reveals them. It's going to be scandalous to them. Even to them which stumble at the world, being disobedient, whereunto they are, were also appointed. They're appointed unto what? They're appointed unto 1 Thessalonians 5.9. That appointment unto wrath that we're not appointed unto. But... Here's the extended covenant to the Gentiles. But you are a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a peculiar people, that he should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Folks, if you want to get excited today, I'm just going to tell you, you're allowed to get excited when people say stuff like, he's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's the, that's the amen time. That's the praise God. That's the jump up and get happy time. Why is that? Because that called out is that's that kaleo, and it means to utter with a loud voice. Why is that important? Why? Because after this I looked up and behold the door was opened in heaven and the first voice which I heard was it were a trumpet talking with me and it says come up hither. And so I look back at 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 and it calls me a, 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 a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a period people that he has shown forth his praises who has what called me out of darkness, the darkness of this world, the darkness of sin, the darkness of this life, the darkness that 1 Corinthians uh, speaks of when it talks about that, uh, that we only see in part. Why? Because we look through a veil darkly, but when that trump sounds, folks, just like it says in, in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, it says, boom, come up hither, come up out of those things, and you're going to be with me forever. You're going to be in the, in the presence of light. I've called you into the marvelous light. Who is the marvelous light? Folks, i got news for you. His name is Jesus. Which in verse 10 of 1 Peter chapter 2, which in times past were not a people, there's the Gentiles, but now we are the people of God, which have not, which had not obtained mercy, but now folks, we have obtained 
mercy. And so when I hear people talk about, you know, uh, well, the church has got to go through the three and a half years or they've got to go through the seven years, I'm thinking, where, where, what are you reading? What Bible are you reading? What promises are you reading? You know what, folks? I'm not appointed and I'm not stored up or treasured up for myself wrath for the day of wrath. But He has put a storehouse in heaven for me out of mercy. Not, not because I reject Him, because I've received Him. I'm, I'm, I'm a part of that blessed promise and, and He has called me out as a result of that. And so I just want to uh, tell you folks and encourage you, you folks that have always kind of went back and forth on that and said, well, we've got to go through this. Folks, look at these promises of God. Look at these, these, these things that he has, he has ordained for His bride to catch us up to that place of a, of, a, of, a, of a fresh God perspective, to that place that He has ordained for His church. We are the people who have been called out, who have been called up, who have been drawn unto, who have been caught up together, who have been snatched away who He's given a promise that He's going to rapture, that we might regain the right perspective and see the things which might come or must come hereafter. And so, folks, that's the promise that you and I have. And if you want to be a part of that promise, hallelujah, He says to those who overcome. And we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. In other words, I'm putting faith not in my own ability, but I'm putting faith in the finished work of the one who was who was lifted up on the, on the cross. I'm putting my faith in the blood of Jesus. I'm believing that He was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. That the chastisement of my peace was upon Him. And by His stripes I am healed. And I'm putting my faith in Him, not in my ability, not in my willpower, not in my ability to quote Scripture or to sing a song or to go out and do some type of works of service. But I'm putting my ability in the fact that Christ Jesus found me. He convicted me of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He put it upon me to repent. I repented of my sins and I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus because I've been crucified with Him. Nevertheless, I live and boom, I've got a promise that's waiting upon me to be caught up, to be lifted up, to be raptured up, to be drawn up, to be pulled into His presence at that voice of the archangel and the trump of God. See, that's the promise that I'm standing for and I'm holding on to. Why? Because over and over and over again. And so what does that do for me? I don't say, well, I'm going to do all these things in order to get Him to love me. I say, I'm going to live righteous because He loves me. I'm going to live holy because He loves me. I'm going to live victorious because He loves me. I'm going to praise and worship Him, not because they're playing the right song, but because there's a song inside of my heart that's ringing out from my innermost being that has nothing to do with an instrument or a chorus or a CD or a praise band. It's the song of the redeemed that's inside of me that's just blasting out of my innermost being because of why? Of who Christ Jesus is is in my life. It's a little bit too early to be preaching like this. But maybe it's not. He may come in just a minute in the moment of twinkling eye. I told Deb the other day, I said, man, I want to be right in the middle of declaring His goodness. And boom, and all of a sudden the screen goes blank. You say, well, where did He go? Is that a film trick? There ain't no trick to it, boy. The, the, the voice of the archangel, the trunk of God said, come, trump of God said, come on, I'm fixing to change your perspective. And you don't have to keep, keep talking about it. You get to start experiencing it from this point forward. Amen. Hallelujah. I'll catch my breath. Get me another sip of this great coffee that we made this morning. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 through 11. Folks, you, you guys need to, if you're not excited about things, you, you really do need to get excited. We win. We're victorious. I've read the rest. We're going to study the rest. I'll just tell you right up hand. I'll, I'll let you read the cleft notes. It, it, it works out real good for those that put their trust in Him. 
And he said this, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, it were, a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up here, and I will show you things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one set upon the throne. And he that sat uh, upon the throne was to look like jasper and sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their hands crowns of gold, heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thundering and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne, round about the throne, were four beasts full of eyes, before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face of a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had uh, had a face like a man, and the fourth beast was like an eagle. Excuse me. In the fourth verse eight, and the four beasts had each of them six wings, and uh, about him, and they were full of eyes within. And the rest, and they did not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor uh, and thanks to him that sat upon the throne who lives forever and ever, then the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and receive power, for you have created all things, and for your pleasure they were and are created. He says immediately, and we talked about a little bit of this. We're going to finish out, actually, I believe, the, the whole fourth chapter today, and we'll be able to... Uh, to get into the fifth chapter beginning tomorrow. He said, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one set upon the throne. And he that sat upon it was like Jasper and Sardis stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in appearance like an emerald. In the Spirit, if you'll remember, John was on the Isle of Patmos. And what does it say? It says that he was in the Spirit. He was taken up in the Spirit. And he was shown things that must shortly come to pass. And you remember that verse 1 and 1. Think about it. He was given this revelation, and he was given things which must shortly come to pass. In other words, uh, that it's a rapidity of action once something begins. In other words, once it starts, boom, 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 you're going to begin to see things unfold in, in a manner unprecedented in human history. And so I think about that, and, and I think about another individual, and maybe you're thinking about it too, that was caught up into heaven. If you think about it, Second Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 through 4, Paul the Apostle said this, he said, I know a man. In Christ, who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I don't know, or whether out of the body, I don't know, God knows, such a man was caught up to the third heaven, and I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not even lawful for a man to utter. Now think about that just for a second. Paul used that word, he said, I knew a man who was being caught up. And that's the same word that we see when they're talking about the rapture of the church in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. And so he was caught up. He was snatched away. He was drawn away. You know what's so powerful about that to me is, you know, God does nothing. We've studied this so many times when we studied the Revelation. Unless he first reveals it to his servants, the prophets. Paul the Apostle, look in Romans chapter 1, verse 1. He talks about, listen, I'm a servant. I'm a doulos. I'm one that just, the only reason I'm here is to lay my life down. I'm to serve. And you see, even in Paul the Apostle's life, because of the, the great things that he was entrusted to, 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 to speak to us, to teach us, 
even in this day and age, as, as the Spirit of God breathed that word upon him, God gave him a perspective on things. He could preach about heaven because he had seen it. He could preach about victory because he had experienced victory. He could preach about overcoming trials and tribulations. Why? Because he had, he had, he had, he had overcome trials and tribulations. And folks, you may be there today and you're thinking to yourself, man, look what I'm going through. You know why you're going through that? Because you're going to get to preach on that one day. You're going to get to go through that fire and say, listen, i got news for you. You know what? He's, he's redeemed you. He's called you by name. You're his. You'll pass through the fires and they you'll not be burned you'll go through the floods and they will not rise against you and they're going to say well how do you know that and you're going to say you listen because i was in the flood and they didn't drown me i was in the fire and i came out the other side without even the smell of smoke about me so paul the apostle got to experience these things folks i've seen god's miracles and so I can preach God's miracles. I've seen God bring salvation to, to the drug addict and to the prostitute. So I can preach that with authority. I've seen God do tremendous things and, and set the captives free. I've seen God supernaturally bring abundance into situations at work. And so when I preach and testify those things, I preach and testify like First John said, that we testify those things we've both seen and heard. And so when... Uh, when, when Paul the Apostle is talking about, listen, I'm preaching about this place, he's preaching about it because God gave him a revelation of such. When John says, listen, I'm telling you some good news about these things that happened, I'm giving you a first-hand account of what I got to lay eyes on. Folks, listen, what's happened with the church of today, listen, we're looking at everything in the third person. What we're doing is we're wanting to get somebody's book, somebody's tape series, we're wanting to get somebody else's perspective on things. But what's God saying? He's saying, listen... I've prepared a place for you. I want to bring you into a place of perspective. I've given my word to you. And by the Spirit of God, I want to give you that first person account, that experience of my victory. I want to show you victory so you can preach victory. I want to show you healing. Why? So you can go out and you can administer healing. I want to show you salvation. So you can go out and preach the acceptable day of the Lord to those that are in, walking in darkness and those that are dead in the trespasses of sin. And so that's exactly what Paul the Apostle here, and he used, like I said, he used that word caught up, the exact same language that 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 uses. And so he was caught up in the third heaven. And, it's, and when I talk about heaven, I'm not talking about the sky. He wasn't floating around on some cloud or, or anything else. It, it was a place, and it's that, that, that third heaven beyond the, the atmosphere, beyond the, 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 the outer space, in the literal presence of God. And so, you know, we, we think about not just him, but think about Ezekiel. Ezekiel and Paul and John, you know, they experienced this being in the Spirit. And sometimes go and check it out. Go look at Ezekiel chapter 8. Verse 3 in Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 1. And you're going to see the exact same things begin to happen. Okay, don't forget. Look at, look at Ezekiel sometime. Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 3, or Ezekiel 31, 37 and 1. And so, here he goes talking. He says, listen, and immediately I saw in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven. And so, a throne set in heaven. John is immediately, right at that point, ushered into really the center of heaven and to the throne of God. And look what he does. He begins to kind of describe this scene to the reader. and He's literally taken to that place, just like Daniel saw the Ancient of Days on his throne, and the one like the Son of a Man approached the throne. And, and you'll see that in Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 and 13. Ezekiel saw the glory of the Lord as a glorified man seated on the throne. Ezekiel 1.27. Isaiah also saw the Lord seated on the throne. Isaiah 6.1. And so you see all these descriptions that are similar to the exact same things that he was seeing. And so he said, I saw a throne in heaven and one sat upon the throne. 
Here's what's interesting about that, folks. It says that he saw in this vision of God sitting on the throne, you know, there's a debate on who's seated upon the throne. And, and really, there's no debate. And, but the dilemma here is the one who was seated upon the throne is described as the creator of all things. And so that creator of all things, who do we know that he is? You know, it's described to the work of, of, of Jesus. You know, John chapter 1, 1 through 3 talks about that he created all things. We see Colossians 1, uh, verses 16 and 17. Uh, Hebrews 1, 2 and 3. Uh, Hebrews uh, 1, 10 and 12. Hebrews 3, 3 and 4. Revelation 4, 11. I'm giving you a bunch of stuff that you not necessarily to write it all down. But what you see is, is the one that sat upon him was the creator of all things. And so it was the same one. But what's interesting too in chapter 5, we'll see it's distinguished from the lamb who was... Uh, who was the one that's opened the scroll. However, we'll also see in Revelation 22, 1 and 3, both the Lamb and, and, and God the Father are pictured as being on the throne of God. Why is that important? It's, it's like this, folks. We, we look at the, the Godhead. It's so often because we, we, we can't get our proverbial minds around this, this presence, we're always, we're always thinking of things divided rather than things together. We serve one God who's eternally existent in three distinct persons or personalities. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That is his composite. That's who he is. He, he is one God manifested in three different ways. So when it speaks of the, the throne of God, one sitting upon him, yeah, he said, I am the Lord God and, and above me there is none else. The, 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 the Lord is, the, God is the Lord and he is one God. We see it throughout the scripture. And so when it's seen that, what we see is the, the unity of that. I had a guy one time I was witnessing to, and I, I kept mentioning, you know, praying for him in, in the name of Jesus. And he said, well, there's the problem. He said, I know God gets frustrated because people are always talking about his son and never talking about him. Folks, listen, God is not jealous of himself, okay? And so when, when he sees this, what he's seeing is the totality. He's seeing the full manifestation of the Godhead, not them vying or jockeying for position and who gets to be seated upon that. We talked about the Jasper and, 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 the, and the Sardis. And, and the rainbow just the other day and about what those things meant in regards to the, the stones in the breastplate of the, uh, uh, of the high priest in the, in, the, in, the, uh, in the tabernacle. But I want you to look at verse 4. And it says, Round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads uh, crowns of gold. He said, I saw them, and where were they at? He said, I saw them around the throne. And so here we got John. He's caught up into this place around the throne. And he begins to describe all these things that he's seeing. And he describes something that had never been described in heaven before in this chapter. And what was it? 24 thrones with people seated upon them. And so he gives this description. And that word thrones, it literally means a seat, a chair, a state of having a footstool and, or a place of authority. And so what he sees in the, in, uh, around that one primary elevated place of authority is these 24 seats never before described in the Scripture. So why is it so different? Well, it's different because of verse 1. You could not have verse 4 until you had what we're talking about in verse 1. For, for folks that, that teach a mid-trib or a, a post-trib, folks, you cannot have verse 4's description of these 4 and 20 elders with crowns upon their head, unless you have a rapture. I'm going to explain that to you in just a second. It begins to talk about, you know, people get these arguments about who they are. Some said they're angels. Uh, they, they, they describe these things. But I'm going to tell you why they, they have to be who I'm going to tell you about in a minute. They can't be angels, number one, because it says that I saw four and twenty elders. Okay, that word is that presbyterios. 
in, in the Greek, and it literally means an elder, one that's aged, or, or one that's a leader. And the reason this cannot apply to angels is because angels are never called elders. They're never called aged. They're never called into that position of authority. Number two, it's always used for men. Number three, elders always represent people, both Israel and in the church. Number four, there are no visions of elders in Ezekiel's vision of the throne. Now think about that just for a second. Ezekiel got caught up. He got to see the throne. He didn't see four and twenty elders, did he? Daniel, look at his description of the throne. That's why I gave you those verses a minute ago. You can go back and look at them. He didn't see any elders around the throne. What about when Isaiah said, I was high and lifted up? Uh, he was high and lifted up, and, and he began to describe the, the throne room in, in Isaiah chapter 6. Why didn't he see the four and twenty elders if they had already been a component, or they did not represent something that had to happen at the church? Have you ever thought about it in that perspective? The same elders are going to sing the song of the redeemed in Revelation chapter 5, 9, and 10, and the, the angels were never or will never be redeemed. And so... Let me give you another description of who they got to be that really validates and, and further substantiates our teaching on a pre-wrath, pre-trib, uh, pre-millennial rapture. It says that they were clothed in what? Clothed in white raiment, white robes. And so those are the clothing that the elders wear. They wear white robes. Why do I say that? Because I know what Revelation chapter 3, 4 and 5, uh, verse 18 says the same thing. Uh, I know what it says in 6, 9, and 7, 9, and 13, and 14, and 19, 14. And I know that these white robes, you don't have to write all that down, Deb. Uh, all these white, because we're going to cover all those as we go through the next chapters. White robes are always the promise of the victorious saint. They're not promised to angels. They're not promised to anything else. They're promised to the saints. Now check this out. He says they were clothed with white raiment, and they had on their heads what? Crowns of gold. Folks, we've talked about it in the New Testament. There's two types of crowns mentioned in the New Testament. One is the ruler's crown or the diadema. And the other is the victor's crown. And we talked about this, the Stephanus. I'm talking about my son. He's named Jared Stephen. His middle name is Crown, which means the victor's crown or the wreath. And this was the crown given to the victors in the public games. But it's also the type of crown that was promised in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, where it says there is a crown of righteousness laid up for those who love His appearing, who love His unveiling, who love the fact that Revelation 4.1 says that you're going to be, that He's going to catch you up and show you things. Those that love the fact that 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, verse 16 says that he's going to, we're going to be caught up together with Him. That's who this crown is for. And so before anybody can have a crown, there's got to be the event that crowns people in that perspective. And so if mankind, if, if all the saints of old, if that has not happened yet, if there's not been a rapture, a catching up, then there's nobody with a crown to be round about His throne. Do you see the timing on that? So you have to have this event before you can have these events. It can't be, late, it can't be later on. And so it's clear from, that, from that, uh, uh, that context that those 24 elders, number one, they're not, they're not redeemed uh, uh, angels because angels can't be redeemed, but they're redeemed saints. And so the next question is, who exactly are them? Since they are sitting on thrones, they, we know that they're in a position of authority. And what did Christ promise the saints? He promised us what? I will make you kings and priests. I will put you in a place of authority. And he promised the fact that, that, that the twelve apostles, that they would be seated upon twelve thrones over what? Twelve tribes of Israel. Listen to this. 
Jesus said unto them, Surely I say to you, that in the generation which the Son of Man sits upon the throne of his glory, you have followed me, you who have followed me will be seated upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Excuse me, that's Matthew 19.28. Now think about this just for a second. I've told you all along that this period of time, this great tribulation, is a period of Jacob's trouble. It's the 70th week of Daniel. It's the time of judgment coming upon the Jews who rejected the Messiah. Now check this out. He gave the promise in Matthew 19.28 uh, to his disciples, to his apostles, who would be followed. He said, listen, you're going to be seated upon 12 thrones, judging or ruling over the tribes of Israel. Now what do we see? Let me go to the fourth chapter. We see that made manifest. They are in positions of authority. They are judging during this time of great tribulation. There is the judgment that comes upon the Jews. Is that tribulatory seven year period of time. And so that number 24 matches uh, also the number of, 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 of priests in Israel. You'll see that in 1 Chronicles chapter 24, 7 through 19, or the first 20, the, the 24 orders of priests in that. And so we see that whole authority being pulled out. And so I mentioned this the other day. You have 12, you have uh, uh, tw the 12 patriarchs, the 12 uh, uh, apostles, which represent, folks, this is representative of the saints throughout all the ages that are participants of that. That's just not saying, well, there's 24 special people to get a place. It's speaking of us. We're encapsulated because what? We're built upon the foundations of the prophets and the apostles. And so those 12 thrones represent every single one of us throughout the ages that are going to be a part of that event seated upon a place of authority. Isn't that pretty exciting? Amen. That we get to be those that are in authority that have been called out because of our faithfulness, because of our desire, because of our commitment, our continuous, as it said, towards those things that we get to experience the benefits of eternal life. And so, and out of the throne proceeds lightning and thundering and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Thundering and lightning, folks, always speaks of judgment. And so here's kind of a precursor to what we're going to begin to see. Out of what? Out of the throne proceeds lightning and thundering. I want to, I want to make something clear. God is the judge. Okay? This is the things that we're going to be seeing unfolding are not the devil running rapid. They're not Lucifer finally showing his hand and, and building power. The thunderings and the lightnings, these judgment that's going to be poured out upon the world, that's going to be bringing the Jews back to that place, where do they come from? They're coming from the throne, okay? They're derived from the hand of God. And so when people think, well, the devil made me do it or all these bad things are happening, folks, listen, the devil has no power. He was defeated 2,000 years ago upon the cross of Calvary. And so the things that God is going to bring out that you're going to see unfold is not Satan getting the upper hand or him getting the 666 and him getting all this and that. It's the judgment of God coming upon the people. That God has, has derived these things out of His holiness and His righteousness what to return a people back to a place of covenant. So it says that they were, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And folks, we talked about that seven spirits, not saying that there's seven individual spirits, but it's the totality. And we got that out of uh, the book of Isaiah, chapter 11, verse 2. You know, the spirit of the Lord, spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of power, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of the uh, fear of the Lord. And so that seven, uh, uh, ta that in the tabernacle, in the temple, the seven lamps were on the seven, what, golden candlesticks. Before the Holy of Holes, and that was a type of the reality, really, in, in heaven. And you can find that in Hebrews chapter 9, 
verse 23. And so that whole tabernacle and, and temple was kind of a, a microcosm of what we're seeing unfolded right here in this unveiling. Now, look at the next verse. It says, And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne, round about the throne, were four beasts full of eyes uh, before and behind. Now, me, because I've, I've studied this out, when I, as soon as I see there was a, a sea of glass like unto crystal... When you, when you combine that and you begin to think about your study in the tabernacle and the temple, what was that kind of a, a type or an, even a, you, you really kind of call it an anti-type because of where it's at. It was the bronze laver. Remember the bronze laver? What was it? You, you looked into it and you were able to, to see your sin. You were able to be, be cleansed. Everything, and I told you, listen, everything that you saw there was a type of something, reality in heaven. It was not only a type of Christ, it was a reality of something that you're going to see in heaven one day. That bronze laver was the physical manifestation of the sea of glass. And so with this sea of crystal, this, this, this sea of glass like unto crystal, it was that type of it, the what? It's going to always going to reflect back through the water, through the regeneration, through the holiness of God into that place. And so we're, we got that type. And what does that allow us to do? That allowed the high priest to enter into the holy place, and that allows us, what? To be seated before the throne of grace and mercy and to be seated upon on thrones with Him as, judge, uh, as judges. And so He gives that. He gives that example, that tabernacle. And you can see it. Look in Exodus chapter 30, 17 through 21. And you can even look in 1 Kings 7, 23 through 26 sometime. And so it was placed between, what? The altar and the tabernacle. It was a place that the, the priests washed their hands and their feet before they went to, to, to minister. And you see that exact same thing. It's placed between the people and the throne in order for us to be qualified for the judgment that's happening. So then you get into some interesting parts. And he talks about, and around about the throne were four beasts full of eyes, uh, uh, full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion. Now, if you're reading that Underline like a lion. Second beast was like a calf. The third beast had the faces as a man, as. And the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. Okay? The, the key about that, folks, is when it uses the word like, it goes back to what he said in chapter 1, verse 1. The signified. There's certain things in the revelation that you take literal. There's other things that he tipped the hand in the first verse. He said, I'm going to signify it. And so when he uses the word like, it tells us that he is setting us up for something metaphorical. Okay? In other words, he's speaking of it. He's, he's given a descriptive terminology for something that there's no comparison. Why couldn't he have a comparison for that? What he's seeing is an angelic host. He's seeing these created angelic beings. And so he's given something descriptive of them to, to talk about them. And you'll see those same, that same picture of, of these that were in Isaiah chapter 6, that, that whole seraphim. And, and what he said, he said, that The four living creatures have six wings full of eyes round about within, and they do not rest day or night. But what do they say? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to, get, uh, and is to uh, come. And when those uh, beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that's set up on the throne, who lives forever, then what happens? The four and twenty elders fall down before him that set up on the throne and worship him and live forever and ever and cast their crowns before him, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure thou wert created.
created. Folks, here's, here's the kicker here. Number one, those are angels. They're living. That word beast can be better translated. Maybe some of your other translations say living creatures. And so not, when it's talking about beasts, it's not talking about some hideous sideshow act. It's talking about these living creatures that he's, that he's created. And it's these, these picture of the, the seraphim. And, and we see it once again in Isaiah uh, chapter 6, uh, verses 2 and 3. And so, but here's what I want to give you right here. It says the four and twenty elders they fall down before him, and they begin to cast their crowns uh, to him, or they cast their Stephanus, they cast their victors' crowns before him. And so, this has to acknowledge that what happened that that type of that time of reward has already come at this point, folks. Listen. When, when we die and stand before Him, there is a reward that comes upon us right then and there. We're not uh, 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 ordained or, or being held off until that great white throne judgment. We immediately come before the judgment seat of Christ, and He's either going to say, Well done, my good and faithful servant, or He's going to say, Depart from me. If He says, Well done, my good and faithful servant, which He's going to say to those that are caught up right there, what does He present us with? The Stephanus. He presents us with that victor's crown. And He positions us and gives us literally that instrument of worship that we're going to join with those seraphims that have been uh, worshiping holy, holy, holy for eons. And we're going to begin to cast that crown down before the throne of grace and mercy. So what you see here is a return, folks, Back to the God perspective. The perspective is, listen, He's bringing me to that place of holiness. He's bringing me to that place that not where I'm, I'm trembling and I'm hiding, but He's bringing me to that place that I'm seated with Him in authority, that I'm worshiping Him, that I'm sitting in a place of judgment, that, 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 that I've came through the sea of glass, that now I'm in the holy abode of God. I'm right there in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, the one that's the showbread upon the table, the bread of life, who is Christ Jesus is right there, and I'm in the midst and smelling the incense of the saints that we're in the tabernacle. Think about this picture. Why? Because that's my prayers of the saints that were like that sweet-smelling fragrance in this place. And there's no more a middle wall of partition. But right there, I'm at that place of the mercy seat of Christ. Christ Jesus being Aaron's rod that bud, that person of authority, being that, that, that golden bowl of manna that, that, was, that fed us in the wilderness. Jesus is right there. And Jesus being that, 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 that law giver by that tablets. He's right there in that Ark of the Covenant that was made manifest. It was that Acadia wood overlaid with gold. The humanity of Christ with the overlaid deity of Christ. He was God with us. I've got my, I'm returned back to my perspective. And so folks, from this point on, we need to study chapters 5 through 18 from the God perspective that He has given us. Why is God doing it? Why is He saying it? Because unless you have that perspective, it's going to be skewed because you're going to still think you're, you're, you're going to be down here going through and suffering these things and, 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 and thumbing through the pages of, of uh, the late great planet Earth or tribulation force or, or whatever it is. Folks, listen, our reward is in heaven. Whew, I'm totally out of time. I did tell you I'd get through chapter four today. And the race was on. But, you know, what we're going to, and a lot of that I kind of just, I, I went over, but we're going to get a lot more details of that as we get into the, the preceding chapter. Folks, thank you guys so, 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 so much for being a part of this teaching in this class. We will be back tomorrow for another edition of the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies, 9 o'clock a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And it really gets interesting, not as though it hasn't been interesting up to this point, but as we get into chapters 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, all the way through 22, obviously. A lot of tremendous, tremendous things for us. But you've got to pray and say, God, give me the correct and right perspective. Folks, I love you so much. I'm praying for you. God bless you. Got one bit of advice for you today. Get into God's Word, and God's Word will get into you.